Hello, my name is Doreen Tumble. I work for the UK National Institute for Health and Care Research, also called NIHR. And uh, welcome to this podcast series, which spotlights on community engagement and involvement, improving global health research and outcomes through engaging with local communities. Welcome to part two, where we continue exploring what mechanisms and structures best support meaningful CI across multiple countries. And I'm delighted to be joined again by members of the Empowering People with Cutaneous Leishmaniasis Intervention Programs to improve the patient journey and reduce stigma via community engagement. The short project title for this is Eclipse. And this research study is funded by the NIHR Research and Innovation for Global Health Transformation, which we also call RIGHT. Today, I would like to extend a very warm welcome to the co-lead investigator, Dr. Helen Price, who's a professor of parasitology at Keele University, and Thalini Agmapodi, who's a professor in social epidemiology at the Department of Community Medicine in the Faculty of Medicine and Allied Sciences in Rajarata University of Sri Lanka, and also to Professor Clarice Mota from Brazil, who is an associate professor at the Instituto de Sud Coletiva, UNFBA in Brazil. And I would also like to welcome Dr. Kellermark, Tefere Reda, Associate Professor of Anthropology, College of Social Sciences and Languages, Department of Sociology at Mekele University in Ethiopia. So I'd like to ask all of you, um, looking back over the last few years that the project has been running, what would you say the main challenges for community engagement and involvement or CEI was? And how did you address those challenges? So perhaps um, we can continue with Helen um, on what your take is around the whole work program. Okay, so one of the one of the major challenges we had was was COVID nineteen. Mm. Um, so we started the project at the end of two thousand and nineteen. Um, so we were we were ready to start the the community work in early twenty twenty. And that was when the world went into to lockdown. Yes. Um, I don't think anyone was prepared for that. Um, and it meant that we were not able to travel. Um, we were not able to, to visit communities. Um, so this needed a lot of, of thinking, um, changes in, in, in our methodologies um, and um, across the team, we, we, we really changed what we were, we were doing while still engaging the communities. Mm -hmm. um, so Talini and, and Clarice can give really good examples of how they've, um, how they've, how they've done that. Right. Okay. So, so perhaps we can explore that a bit more country level and, and perhaps now we can um, start with the Ethiopian perspective. So the, the first obvious challenge was, I mean, it emanated from the fact that uh, the project team members came from different disciplines, which means that they do not have equal amount of knowledge and experience on CAI. Obviously, social scientists such as anthropologists were better positioned to 
to know better about CAI. But this gap was later narrowed through a series of training sessions, particularly designed for uh, those who come from the biophysical sciences. Right, thanks for sharing that. I believe you also had to work within an environment that was challenged with conflict. That must have created a major challenge for your community engagement work. You must have had to make some adjustments to the work that you were planning to do, for example. Perhaps we could hear a bit more about this um, from Helen and Kellam work on this topic. There was a conflict in, in Ethiopia between the federal government and the region of Tigray. And this has resulted in a, a, a telecommunications ban. Um, there was a travel ban for some time. Um, the security situation has been very unstable and it has has caused a lot of instability, a lot of a lot of hardship for the population. Internet and other vital services are still still down as we speak. But nevertheless, despite such challenges, the team in Ethiopia is progressing well. They have done uh, some ethnographic field work and they are engaging people on the ground. They are sharing the ex their experiences with local communities and learning from the local, exp uh, local uh, communities' experiences and so on and so on. So our team in, in McKelly have um, amazingly carried on with the research that they're doing. Um, when they've been able to, they've they've travelled to our original um, field sites to to do interviews. Some activities have not been possible because populations have been displaced. People have have moved around um, because it was not safe to be where they where they lived. Mm -hmm. There are lots of shortages of of basic resources as well, such as food and fuel. So that, of course, has, has really heavily impacted on the on the team. Um, but we're we're absolutely amazed and and humbled by the the fact that they're continuing to to work and to to progress with the research. Yeah, I mean, we had to make some adjustments when it comes to the fieldwork sites. We avoided uh, going to the mountainous areas. Uh, where uh, the conflicts are very serious uh, and remote um, areas uh, in Tigray uh, around um, the border areas with other regions and also with, uh, with Eritrea. So one approach was to try to adjust ourselves you know, to the existing situation in terms of uh, you know, selecting other sites instead of uh, the conflict region areas also becoming a little bit a little bit flexible with uh, the methodology uh, so we actually avoided uh, staying unnecessarily long time in the field instead shorter but frequent visits were made and uh, whenever appropriate we also invited some of the community members to uh, safer locations uh, where we can conduct the interviews and, and discuss about how things are progressing on the ground. Thank you so much. Um, and could we hear what happened in um, Brazil, Clarice? Yes, for sure, COVID-19 is the biggest challenge that we, are, we were not prepared, like Helen said. And um, 
sometimes the the rural areas don't have much cases of covid but since we are in the urban area where is the main focus of the condition sometimes when we enter the community they fear us so it's very common to have the moment of our transportation coming to the community and people will grab their masks and be very afraid of us because they feel we can bring COVID-19 to small communities would be and that would be a disaster because they do not have the infrastructure of hospitals like we have here in urban areas. So we need to be um, much careful to to preserve these communities. So this this is, is for sure the biggest challenge. And every times we have in the news, for example, now we are facing the fourth wave of COVID, and this this is in the news. And and of course they watch TV. In, in even in rural communities, they all um, listen to to the the news and things like that. So the preoccupation of uh, we were much worried to have tests. So we take tests of COVID-19 before entering the communities. And even with all this this care that we are this effort of avoiding to spread COVID-19 in small communities. And we we say, tell them that we are taking tests before going. They are much worried when when we approach the community. They they face the fear of of having COVID-19 through us. So that mm-hmm. that's that's a big challenge. I see. Thank you for that, uh, Clarice. Uh, and Talini, did what what challenges did you have in Sri Lanka? Were there similarities, or were the issues quite different for you? Yes, Dorin. So similarly, the pandemic uh, disrupted the initial participant observation study where the researchers can stay in the villages. So actually, uh, our young uh, PhD students, they were very happily accommodating, getting accommodated and studying the villagers. And suddenly there was this third wave, I suppose. Then uh, they, are, they went for a country lockdown. So we have to get them back. And then we were thinking of, okay, what could we do to simulate participant observation? It's very difficult to engage, keep on engagement, uh, engaging the communities, contact with the communities. And one of the barriers that we faced was that we, our village people, the communities, villagers did not have much of technology, smartphones for WhatsApp or any other sort of mode of technological digital communication. So uh, what we did was we went for all the tentative methods. Uh, We um, introduced this diary writing and patient booklet writing so that we can hear the perspective of patients with leishmaniasis and the perspective of uh, community members, villagers about their village. So we designed uh, diaries Uh, so that they will write their day-to-day activities, what they do usually in the village, what we are supposed to observe. 
and uh, we gave the diaries to purposefully select a different individuals as Clarice mentioned we have to sort of represent every community uh, community groups so uh, that was very successful I think we will have to have a very good picture uh, description of the village as we mentioned that in the country at the beginning so by going through the diaries we were able to visualize what happens in the village in the day-to-day -day life and we were able to get the these contextual inputs to the research and even the patient booklets we included the uh, uh, sort of open-ended questions to for them to describe the patient journey, what they have faced, how it evolved, the disease, and so on. So uh, we were able to get a description. So as soon as the lockdown was lifted, we went to the communities and conducted interviews, including the statements made in the diaries and the booklets. So that was the method we used to keep in touch with the community. Uh, throughout the multiple waves that came from uh, the pandemic, during the pandemic. Thank you so much, Delaney. Delaney. Um, that's really, really um, important because in a sense, I think so many of us switched to using technology, but it's, it's useful, so useful to see um, how different methodologies were used that didn't actually involve um, as much technology so that those that don't use technology weren't left behind in your research. So thank you so much for um, sharing that. Um, and Clarice, you, you'd like to come in? Yes, I remember that um, last year we had uh, lots of difficulties in, uh, in approaching the communities because of the rains. Mm -hmm. we, um, we are talking on rural communities that the only access is by dust roads and the rain really makes impossible to to go it's it, we had very hard weather last year and we are hoping that this year is going to be a little bit better but this was very hard to to keep going to the communities with this environment situation and that's the, the strength of applied research um, in health and care in that you have to operate in the real world, isn't it? Yes. And it's, it's impossible to control a lot of the contextual um, situations that you've all highlighted. Um, and it's amazing that the team has continued despite um, all of these challenges. Okay. Um, so I, I drawing to a close, um, it's been a fascinating discussion with all of you. Um, I was wondering if each of you would like to highlight one tip. What would you tell someone or what advice would you give them if they were looking to embed community engagement and involvement in the research? So perhaps I can start with Pellini. My experience uh, was it was an insightful moment, as ethnographers say. So I would advise to let the communities know that their voice is heard. I will give you the example as the moment which we got that insight. So um, during the pandemic, uh, we could not go to the communities to hold uh, meetings because as uh, as an example for pub as public health personnel we were not to sort of uh, do abandoned things uh, during the pandemic as health because we were health personnel 
So, but then when it was dying out, still the villagers did not like us coming and getting the villagers together. But then our project lead had this fantastic idea. Okay, why not we bring up the community to the faculty, to the school, medical school. So uh, we brought actually two cat groups to the medical school and uh, it was a wonderful moment and they were they enjoyed and they were very emotional this they were saying that it's once in a lifetime that you will be able to see a medical school at that moment uh, in our discussion we actually introduced all the uh, members of the uh, broader teams uh, different countries and the project leads of uk and we just let them know that their voice are being heard every month, every week by all the world, throughout the world, by four countries. That was a very empowering fact for the communities. And I think that made a lot of energy for them to work with this project and go on with this. And they were really uh, thanking us. Thank you for making our voices heard and we feel very important in the uh, for the world living in this small rural village in sri lanka so that we can use as a tactic and it's a very empowering uh, tip for cei thank you so much Talini, because in the uk context we actually try to go into the community but you've highlighted the power of actually flipping that perhaps and inviting the community in what would be called the research world um, so that um, there isn't a divide between the community and the researchers. So the importance of seeing what would work for the community and not assuming um, what should be done. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, and if we could ask uh, Kelamark. Most obvious advice I can give uh, is that, you know, researchers have to be very honest and openly talk to people. They should avoid uh, hierarchies because normally you know, there are two forms of knowledge. We have the scientific uh, technical knowledge. The local communities have their own local indigenous knowledge. And um, I mean, these two have to complement each other. Just because we go to, to these areas from the university as scientists does not mean that we are better off in terms of knowledge and skills. Yeah, I mean, this kind of attitude should be, should be avoided. And uh, we should be able to listen to the people, listen to their priorities, empower them uh, to do, I mean, things the way they want them to be done and, and stuff like that. I mean, uh, this is like a learning experience. So we should be able to learn from their experience also. Uh, it's not, should not be like a, a top-down approach, but a bottom-up approach and should be participatory enough. Thank you. Um... And Clarice, what tip would you have? Yeah, well, I'll say that um, to enter with respect in the community, observing, listening to people, do not assume you already know things. Um, take time to ask people and recognize local knowledge. Thank you so much. Um, and, and Helen, uh, what tip would you have? I think I, I agree very broadly with, with the others. I think don't make assumptions. Um, we, had, we had a plan at the beginning of how we would do everything and we've had to adapt 
and be flexible. Mm. And with all the challenges that we've had, we've had to we've had to rethink many times and to to use the methods that work best in each situation. That is that is so important. It's it's very difficult um, to plan things and and have things go to plan at the best of times. Never mind a pandemic and wars and and unrest um, and also environmental challenges. So I, I would very much like to congratulate the team on the fantastic work that you're doing, um, engaging communities. So thank you all for what's been such a great and insightful um, discussion. And I'd really like to say a huge thank you from all of us as well to you listeners um, for uh, being here with us. So please do share, tweet, um, and tune in to the other podcasts in the series. And do let us know what you think by sending an email to social.media at nihr.ac.uk. So that's it from all of us. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day.